Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics newsfeed. 2022's theme is Future Proof. This month's topic is CBD Cosmetics, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. The CBD category is still in its infancy in cosmetics. Without the research to back it up, its active ingredient benefits within product is still doubted. Its extraction methodology still mistrusted, and capital investment is long-term. So how will this fledgling category survive and thrive the shocks and stresses of the new business environment? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel of experts. Hello to Anna Simon, Strategy and Innovation Director at Oto. A warm welcome back to Matt McNeil, co-founder at Chloris. And hello to Anna Chokina, CEO at Cellular Goods. Welcome, everybody. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be Hi. here. Thanks for having Hello. Me. At Oto, Anna, what are the current social drivers influencing the future-proofing of the brand in 2022? Well, I think the biggest one for me is the link that we've kind of woken up to the um, link between wellness and beauty. How you feel on the inside has an inherent impact on how you feel on the outside. Beauty is definitely not skin deep anymore. Um, when you're stressed, your skin's stressed, you know, starlets, lackluster, you, you, um, you're breaking out, and it's all linked biologically to how you're feeling. And I think what's amazing is that CBD can play a real role in kind of joining the dots here, not just from um, helping you from an, uh, with stress and anxiety and kind of helping you effectively process that on the inside, but then supporting your skin and helping it rejuvenate and rebalance on the outside. And consumers are looking for this. They're looking for brands that can support them in a much more holistic fashion than ever before. Um, secondly, as we move from this kind of hustle culture that we've been living in for years um, into more of a care focus and a care culture, consumers are looking for much more immersive experiences, seeking self-care and calming experiences and acts of indulgence. And we see this as I, um, it's most prevalent in the spa industry where Oto is, where a massage is no longer just a massage. You know, people are looking to treat tension in both their body and their mind at the same time. And again, CBD is perfectly poised to support consumers through this. Finally, you know, even though CBD is still very much kind of an emerging market, I think especially in the UK and the USA, we are seeing a normalization of it. And it's moving from that novel fringe hippie hempy and molecule to much more of an accepted super ingredient, especially in beauty, which is very exciting. And at Chloris, Matt. So I think the the holistic sort of inside out approach, um, combining well-being and beauty is uh, a clear sort of direction of, of travel here. So um, we're, we're seeing a, you know, customers have realized that, um, you know, wellness is a key part of of um, beauty and but actually yeah feeling healthy inside and out is um, a, a key component of this so that being uh, you know the key drivers we see where where cbd takes the the biggest effects are really around sort of sleep and stress which both have a, a huge impact on on skin health and we're seeing um, consumers really embracing that and wanting these um, these products that sort of span 
both those categories. So what you would traditionally view as, as wellness and sort of the supplement side and that working in tandem with, with skincare and the, the more sort of traditional beauty products. And that's where CBD plays a really key role. I think what we're also seeing as well is that um, the sort of more conscious consumer is really driving this category as well. So we're seeing customers who are a lot more aware and are asking sort of, you know, really pertinent questions about where are these products coming from? How are they being produced? What's the, what's the environmental impact of these products? And um, I think that, that's, that's taking things in a really interesting direction. And also I think what we're seeing now is a consequence of us finally sort of hopefully coming out of, of this sort of series of lockdowns for the last time is consumers now looking towards um, wanting to have a more hybrid experience with brands. So be that experiences in, in spa, but also through retail as well. And, and we're embracing that now by opening up our first flagship store because we've seen that this is still a category where customers have a lot of questions. They want to come in and actually talk to the brand and talk to people who know it intimately and, and get a, a deeper understanding of, of how um, particularly you know, products like CBD can be of, of benefit to them in multiple ways. How about cellular goods, Anna? Well, in cellular goods, what we see is um, that another trend that came out um, out of the pandemic was um, the rekindled respect and love of science. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've noticed, but um, after the success of the vaccinations and how that enabled the countries to open up and start restoring the economic um, effects of the pandemic, consumers are now paying more and more attention to substantiated claims. And I think that's going to provide a boost to our category um, where, um, again, some statistics, only about the fifth of the customers who use CBD right now regularly, which is 1.3 million people in the UK, based on the data from 2019, um, it's only a fifth of those who tried, right? So, so four-fifths actually didn't carry on with using CBD. I wonder if that's because perhaps the claims and the benefits of the products were not explained that well. So this rekindled love of science that came out of the pandemic is going to help the brands to develop further and to use science to substantiate um, and finally tell the customers what exactly the products do. For instance, uh, back in February, we published a white paper um, called um, Cannabinoids for the Prevention of Aging, where we shared our latest research into the benefits CBG and CBD bring into the anti-aging skincare industry, um, proving the business case for these ingredients to be used outside of what is, um, I mean, still a narrow field, right, CBD uh, in, in beauty care or in wellness. So now these ingredients can be explored to tap into the 40 billion industry that is anti-aging in the world. Interesting. And Oto, Anna, what are the current digital drivers assisting the future-proofing of the brand in 2022? So as Matt was talking about earlier, kind of one of the biggest challenges we have um, as a CBD category is all around education and destigmatization of this amazing molecule. And to do that, we need to be able to build one-to-one -one relationships and conversations with our consumers. And our, for us, our focus in the short term is really on building that through our website and our direct-to-consumer channel as the most effective and powerful platforms to reach as many consumers as possible, as quickly as possible, with best and um, information possible to kind of move this market on. And to do that, really data is king and data is king for any company at the moment, especially as we like 
digitalization continues to accelerate, but I think this is even more prevalent in the CBD market. Owning our data and growing that database so that we're able to develop richer and deeper understandings of our consumers and customers and target them more effectively with more relevant messaging and a critical. And in terms of the tools that I see coming out of this to really drive that or the digital drivers that we work with. Firstly, it's about, for us, it's been really focused on finding the right CRM platform. We actually use one called Metria, which is super powerful for developing our CRM and CDP, um, integrates really nicely within the stack. And it's fantastic for customer segmentation so that we can better tailor our message and be more sensitive around that, as well as dynamically pushing our audiences and lookalike audiences onto different um, advertising platforms is obviously social media and Instagram and Facebook would remain challenging for a CBD brand. And the second one, which is, is relevant across industries as well, but I think it's important that we, you do mention it is a digital tool and driving us is obviously in the way that we work today and coming out of COVID, we need to be able to enable effective collaboration and communication across multidisciplinary teams. In, which who are distributed, not everyone is in the office anymore. Um, so for us, finding the right tools to really facilitate our teams has been a real focus over the last couple of months in particular. And at the moment, we're really enjoying one. I sound like I'm kind of pushing a load of product, but um, one called Miro, but I would highly recommend it. Um, it was super visual and dynamic and amazing for mapping out consumer journeys um, very dynamically, and allowing us to kind of upskill and really sharpen our marketing activation to be more effective in this very challenging space. And how about Chloris, Matt? Well, for, for us, I think it's been the really interesting uh, part of the digital side is allowing us that direct access to our customers. So we view it very much as a, a two-way dialogue with them. So they're really helping us drive our product innovation, having sort of continual conversations with our, our customers about what do they want? Um, what do they want to understand better? What do they, they need from products? Uh, I think where digital really excels at this is, is basically shortening that chain between the brand and the customer. And that's a really exciting area that really helps us drive innovation at a much, much faster rate if we were still reliant on sort of third party uh, distribution chains and being uh, being separated from the customer. That's I think slows down that, that journey or it doesn't give you that that sort of direct dialogue um, with the customer to really get a feel for, for where the market's at. And that's probably the, the single most valuable um, sort of digital driver of, of innovation for us at the moment. Um, and then I think you've also got the, the other way, which is sort of the digital access that consumers have to information in the space as well. And we're seeing that sort of change the nature of the, the conversation and the, the consumer's buying habits as well. There's a a lot more consumers out there that are far more clued into um, you know, ingredients and production processes and, and the, the implications of the types of products that they buy. And they're really the ones that, that we, um, we, we sort of, uh, we target and we, we enjoy conversing with because they, um, you know, they're again, forcing innovation in the space. They, they are actively seeking out brands that are doing things in, in better ways for the planet and for the consumer as well. And that access to information for them is, um, is really starting to, to change the game, I think. And access to data, is that important at cellular goods, Anna? 
Yes, of course. Um, we started as a direct-to-consumer brand, um, but I'm, I'm very interested in, uh, in learning from Matt how it goes, and I wish you all the best with the retail store opening. This is something we, we consider as well, um, because I think um, what we see is that this direct communication channel that customers prefer to have with the brand is very important. And be it retail, be it um, e-com, um, that's what, what drives the, 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 the purchase um, these days. And so from the digital standpoint, yes, of course, having data is very important because that allows us to have a more personalized conversation with every single customer. Um, I think actually I would suspect that that has served our industry quite well. Um, the fact that for, for a couple of years, consumers were locked uh, in the houses and they, they sort of um, made full use of the digital tools and now everyone is very familiar with the QR code, very familiar and not intimidated to shopping online. That helped our brands as well to build the customer databases to, um, to ensure that we control the message and uh, that goes to them. Um, so, so yeah, so, so, so that's very, very important. What I would also say is that um, because the information flow is so um, so free right now, it's um, it's it's very um, it allows us to tap into some of the best innovations and developments elsewhere in the world quicker. Um, for instance, our product development team sits in Canada, um, and North America overall was uh, the first um, region where the re regulatory space became more welcoming to cannabis, uh, cannabis-derived and plant-derived uh, cannabinoids products. As a result, there is more um, knowledge and more uh, know-how in terms of how to apply those ingredients and um, more data in general, what to use, what not to use, how to best formulate. And um, that allows us to tap into this wealth of knowledge to allow uh, to, to formulate our products. Um, and the fact that the team sits in Canada doesn't have any um, impact except for positive uh, to, to the ways we work. Um, I do think though that, um, I, and I think um, Anna from OTO referred to it, um, the information specifically in the UK, what I say is that, um, um, the ban on advertising and on uh, on promoting the CBD-based products in Instagram or Facebook or even on Google it is getting in the way, frankly, uh, of our industry developing um, properly, or it, even to be able to, to serve our customers well and to provide the information that will demystify the, the category will tell them what's good, what's bad, uh, will educate and will help them understand real benefits of the products. Um, with this in mind, we actually started a petition um, on behalf of the industry that I'm hoping Matt and Anna are also going to join. Um, petition is, a, is, is against Meta and Google internal policies um, because basically what's happening right now, they haven't caught up with the governmental regulations in this country. And it, it, it's, I understand um, it's easy to use one blanket approach where you have a policy that's perhaps the strictest, strictest with the lowest denominator in effect. But being the dominant place in social media and in search, they're depriving public from the access to the information um, and real information about the CBD and CBG companies like ours. Um, so I'm hoping that once we combine the forces of the um, many companies um, and, and get our voices heard, um, 
Meta and Google will have to take action. And that will, in turn, help the industry to develop even further. Indeed. So let's move to the other big influencer on the cosmetics industry in 2022, the environment. At Oto, Anna, what are the current environmental drivers impacting the future-proofing of the brand in 2022? Well, as Matt was talking about earlier, we've really seen a rise in the conscious consumer who is really seeking out the best products that are sourced in the best way and that are the best for the environment. And for me, the first area that we've been really looking at is really ensuring that all of our ingredients are extremely intentional, not only what the ingredient is, but where it's from. So all of our ingredients in our products have a purpose, like a playing a role. Um, nothing is superfluous or for marketing activity. Um, and, but it's further than that. We also need to ensure that we're 100% transparent in our sourcing and the journey that as brands and businesses we're on to improve and continue to improve as it's a continuous journey um, where we source our ingredients from. So we at Oto have an ambition to source zero waste from land um, to landfill and upcycled ingredients where possible. And actually in our serum, our glorious Oto CBD serum, our hemp seed oil and jojoba oil are sourced with zero waste from landfill and, the, and our pomegranate seed oil is actually upcycled from other industries. And whilst we're on the journey, our, um, by the end of the year, 100% of our palm-derived ingredients will be RSPO certified. But I think the wider issue in, in the industry, and this is on the beauty industry as a whole, which is hampering brands, is, is around clean washing and green washing. And there, is, there appears to be a misconception that natural always equals sustainable, which as I'm sure at Anna at Cellular Goods will tell you, is not always the case. Um, and at O2, our mission is really to be guided by nature, but grounded very much in the science and the facts. And whilst we use natural ingredients wherever possible, we also use synthetic when it rep represents a safer or more sustainable choice to ensure that we are delivering the most effective and sustainable and thoughtful products. And that, for me, is an ongoing conversation both with consumers and suppliers and new distributors around debunking some of the kind of myths around synthetic. But And I see it as the beginning of a new story and a new journey that I hope will only grow in future years as synthetic can help us save natural resources if developed in the right way. And I think the final thing for me is that sustainability really is a journey. Um, and, you know, it's a journey that's constantly changing. It's not a straight road. Um, and as more as new information or new studies comes to light, so, so does our ability to react to those studies. And the key for me isn't that as an industry that we don't knee jerk. The a great example of this is kind of the plastic conversation. Two years ago, plastic was the devil. We all needed to move to glass. Um, and then when you take a step back and you look at the carbon footprint and the, the full life cycle journey of certain um, materials, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of information and weaving through that um, is challenging. And for this reason, we've just partnered with and signed up with the Future Plus Foundation, who are a new organization to support brands in their journey um, to become more sustainable and recognizing that it is a journey. It's not a score. It's not a badge that you wear. It's something that you're continuously improving and working towards together. 
and the sustainable spa associations so that we can work with the right experts to develop our brand in the most thoughtful effective way for the future so chloris is opening a store matt so what are your environmental drivers for 2022 um, so I, I think, well, from when we started the brand, um, sustainability has always been at the, the sort of core of what we do, and that that's really across everything from our, you know, our day-to-day operations. So our, you know, our warehouses are completely plastic-free. We work with all our suppliers to make sure that, um, that the entire supply chain is, is as sustainable as possible. And in fact, all of our new products now are entirely biodegradable. Um, but it really works across every every aspect of the the business as well so and we're seeing that again being driven by um consumer demand as well so it's always been something that we baked to the core but we're, we're seeing now like that that is what customers are asking for so they're actively coming in and asking questions about about the product about you know how they're made um how our, our back-end operations are working and, and what we're doing to to support that um, and so we try and tread lightly in everything we do and even you know, without our store, um, again, because we've been in the privileged position of being able to sort of create that from the, the ground up, um, we can do that in a really sustainable way. So, um, again, it's designed to be minimal impact. Everything's energy efficient. Um, interesting, we're in a, um, uh, it's in a pedestrian zone as well, um, but also it's going to give us a whole, a whole sort of range of ways to do really interesting things around the, the conversation around sustainability. Um, customers are going to be able to come in and recycle their products with us directly in the store as well. So again, we can sort of engage in that, that conversation about um, how these products have a, an impact on the environment. I think something else that's really interesting in the, the CBD space in particular as well is that um, you know hemp itself is a really interesting uh, crop, but the, the sort of unspoken um, thing, or it's not talked about enough in my mind in the, the UK market, is the fact that whilst you can farm hemp in the UK, uh, you can't farm hemp for CBD extraction in the UK. So we're all forced as, as companies to to source um, CBD from outside of uh, the UK and import it. Um, and it would go a long way to sort of helping cut the carbon footprint even further if legislation were to be changed to allow UK farmers to actually um, extract the most valuable. Um, component of the hemp crop as well. I think that would have a, a huge impact. Indeed, it would. And Anna at Cellular Goods, what are the environmental drivers impacting your brand? Thank you for asking. Um, Anna from Otto referred to some of them. Um, and we have chosen from the onset to work with um, lab made cannabinoids, except specifically for the reasons of environmental footprint. Um, in our view, um, using the lab-made, biosynthesized cannabinoids is, is a greener and cleaner and safer way of extracting this ingredient. If you think about the, the plant-based uh, cannabinoids, it, it takes acres of land, month uh, of watering and fertilizing the land. Um, to, to grow it. And then I think cannabinoids take up only 2% uh, of the plant weight. So imagine all the waste that then ends up um, um, yeah, in the landfill. Um, so from that standpoint, we feel like um, having synthesized or biosynthesized uh, cannabinoids is the way forward. Um, we use um, biosynthesis in our case, um, and it's also a very organic way of um, growing cannabinoids in the lab. Very much so, like, um, I don't know if you know, but many products we use on a daily basis, um, 
even uh, some medicines they they also used um, um, they also grown using biosynthesis so we use glucose uh, to synthesize our cannabinoids in the lab and it takes just like nine days uh, very little waste and um, the purity of the ingredient is exceptional which leads also to consistency of the formulae uh, and consistency of the um, and, and high performance of the of the products um, so that's our main um, angle with uh, sustainability, but I think it's also safe to say that um, there is um, a lot of effort being made right now, not just in our industry, but um, across all of the consumer goods to, to make packaging more sustainable. We are um, trying to be on top of these things and we always try to apply the, the best possible solutions in our packaging, the most sustainable ones. Um, I'm yet to see a solution for pumps. For instance, you know, like those uh, pumps you use in uh, fragrances or in uh, in serums. I don't think there is a solution right now in the market that would allow those ingredients, those components of the packaging, to be sustainable, 100% sustainable. Um, but um, but outside of that, um, I think we even, all of the packaging can be recycled or recyclable these days, uh, which is a great great step forward uh, for the planet, even versus three five years ago. From ingredients, we go to regulation. At Oto, Anna, what are the current regulations aiding or abetting the future-proofing of your brand in 2022? I think the first thing to say is that the regulations around CBD remain globally complex and extremely volatile. The rules are still being determined and changed. Um, in the EU, it's different between countries. In the USA, it's different between states, which is a emerging brands looking to gain a global foothold, it's, um, it can be very challenging. Not only that, they can change at any moment, like we saw with China last year, which is one of the biggest beauty markets, kind of um, cracking down overnight on CBD, which is hugely disappointing. Um, in the UK, I, me, the regulations now are much more favourable. Um, CBD, we can treat like any other amazing hero ingredient and build fantastic claims based on the formula as a whole. Um, as you do with any beauty product. That said, I, we've seen that the MHRA is still keeping a really close watch on CBD brands, which we absolutely welcome. Um, because whilst CBD is an amazing ingredient with powerful benefits, it's not, a, it's not a miracle worker. And the worst thing that can happen for this industry at this point, as we build credibility behind CBD, is that uh, brands that are overstating um, and overclaiming on the effects of CBD. And, you know, sitting here on this podcast with two fantastic also brand leaders on the CBD market, um, we have a duty to ensure that we are leading the way and making sure that our claims are completely in line with the, the results of the product, which uh, I'm very proud to sit on this podcast with Boris and Cellular Goods, knowing their marketing coffee and what they're doing as well. Um, so for, for me, I think the overall abetting globally, but in the UK, there's definitely light and opportunity. And how about at Chloris, Matt? Yeah, the, the, the difference in um, regulations and legislation worldwide certainly makes for um, a more uh, challenging export market. Um, you'll see, I mean, we've seen some positive movements in a lot of areas. So the, I mean, the UAE, for example, has opened up CBD and skincare, which didn't look like that was going to happen. Um, but yeah, then you're seeing other huge markets that are, they're out of bounds like China and, um, even going into to territories like 
Japan is quite challenging unless you you change your your product composition quite quite significantly. Um, but also, um, yeah, regulations as a whole with just getting it like cosmetic products in particular into Europe, um, let alone ones containing CBD, has been quite quite the challenge as well. So certainly for for smaller up and coming brands, um, that that's been a significant hurdle. But that being said, for those uh, brands that are putting in the work to overcome those, I think it, it can then lead to a significant advantage. Um, and I, I completely um, echo Anna's uh, comments there that it's making sure that brands are doing this, the, the whole process in a, in a credible way uh, and everyone sort of pulling in the same direction, like giving the, the, the correct messaging to the consumer market will help grow it for everyone. But um, if people are not, um, playing by the rules and playing in the sort of best interests of, of the customer that has the potential to sort of damage the market. So I actually think the UK is in a really good position in terms of the way it has approached regulation in that market. It's serving to help um, to help grow this whole market in a in a sustainable way for everyone. Um, I think what will be interesting to see is, is whether there is any um, enforcement behind this as well, because right now I think it's it's very much reliant on the the bigger players in the market um, doing things in a responsible way, but there are there are certainly other players out there that are, are perhaps pushing things a little bit, and really we need to see that being controlled to to make sure that the the market continues to grow in, a, in the right way for everyone. And are regulations tougher for cellular goods, Anna? Well, I think they're tough for everyone, right? I I, I actually think that regulations are both a barrier and an opportunity. Um, I think the, from the opportunity standpoint, I, I think the fact that there is varied uh, regulatory um, um, feedback to, to the usage of the cannabinoids in per country actually plays to our advantage, uh, small brands advantage. Um, the reason I think so is because um, take, for instance, L'Oreal, the company where I worked in, or Avon, another big global company in beauty care. Um, it allows us small brands to innovate in this industry without big big companies being involved. Because when you're in a big company, you're interested in the innovation that's going to be scaled globally quickly. And when there is such ambiguity around uh, regulatory requirements to enter one country versus the other one, and the space is moving so quickly, um, it can change. Um, whether you are able to launch a product in a certain geography or not, uh, it becomes slightly less effective from the return on investment standpoint. And given the limited amount of R&D resource, um, I would suspect that big companies are not going to be investing as much in this um, from the R&D standpoint as they could have um, until the regu uh, regulatory space becomes more unified um, and allows for a scalable innovation globally. So, so, so from that standpoint, I think it's actually playing to our advantage. Um, I think, yes, um, I think UK is an excellent market to, to be playing in this field. I think we see a lot uh, of people already using the products, but also still a lot of the untapped opportunity in terms of education. Uh, regulatory requirements are also um, quite um, sound, yet they allow for some freedom of movement. So, so I agree with Matt and Anna that um, it's a, it's a lucrative place to be for us, I think, at this point, compared to some of the other countries where it's either too restrictive or too loose. Um, so, so UK seems to be in the right place. I would say, though, that um, 
uh, on the ingestible side, um, not necessarily on the topical side, but on the ingestible side, um, the requirement to apply uh, for the authorization is very costly for, for, for the new brands. Um, and that puts a big, big barrier for the innovation in this industry. So I'm hoping that this is something that the um, FSA will review and perhaps um, and perhaps adjust um, without, of course, impacting the end consumer and the health and safety and the uh, um, and stability of the ingredient, but still um, allowing for some kind of freedom to be able to uh, to um, to play in this field. Um, because the costs right now are, are very, very high for small brands to enter. Indeed it is. And finally, at Oto, Anna, what will the brand look like in the next 12 months? For me, in the next 12 months, I think we're going to see change in the category. Firstly, the opening up of more cannabinoids coming onto the market. So already with cellular goods and um, CBG, uh, more broad spectrum products, especially we see that already in the US, probably flooding into Europe. And then actually in Japan, which is our secondary market, we're seeing a rise in the use or adoption of CBN. Now, this is really exciting as it offers more opportunities for more fantastic um, innovation and, and use of even more potent and exciting ingredients. But it also creates complexity and confusion for a consumer in still a very, as we talked about in the beginning, fragile and emerging market. So for us, really ensuring that we're talking about efficacy and integrity of the ingredients in our products, um, ensuring that we have research to back up what's in there. So at the moment, we only use pure CBD isolate in um, Oto and at optimal strengths that we've researched to ensure that we really are delivering something for the consumer. So educating, going back to what we were talking about earlier, education remains fundamental for this market. Um, I, I personally think we will see kind of I've, I've, at the moment we're in a in an awakening of wellness and beauty the beauty market markets coming together we'll see a full merger of that ingestible and topical beauty in the next year with healing restorative experiences mind body and soul being at the forefront of how people um, address beauty moving forward and then that overlap between wellness and beauty ingredients not just with CBD but what we choose to enrich our CBD products with, whether it's amazing adaptogens or botanical ingredients that also have fantastic properties that support and enrich our products. And then finally, you know, no surprise, I think sustainability will remain the key driver and forefront for how we innovate um, both now and in the future. And as Anna was talking about earlier, I'm excited to see real packaging innovation coming to the forefront. Um, new formats that will help drive even further that sustainable supply chain and just offer consumers the best experience whilst helping and supporting the best uh, way forward for us as a planet. And for Chloris, Matt, what does future-proofing look like in the next 12 months? I think there's still an enormous amount of consumer education is going to be the key, the key thing here. I think we're still very at the the early stages of this industry and um, there's undoubtedly like a lot of room for product innovation but I think there's still the, the key piece is getting uh, consumers to sort of understand really what what these products can do um, I completely agree that the, the sort of more holistic approach the sort of um, consumers sort of 
uh, ingesting products as well as using them on the skin and uh, seeing that whole holistic wellness piece as, as part of the, the beauty experience is um, only going to continue to grow. And I think that will, you know, the fact that we're, we're now um, able to actually start having more sort of in-person experiences and things, that's going to really um, be embraced, I think, in the next 12 months. I think there's a, there's a huge consumer appetite there for these sort of um, hybrid experiences with brands. So we're, we're sort of certainly leaning into that in a big way, but that goes hand in hand with this, this education piece. I think that's ultimately going to be the, the main driver. There's no doubt um, in my mind that the category is here to stay. It's only going to grow, um, but that really relies on, on consumers um, understanding and then experiencing the benefits of themselves. And it's Celia Goods, Anna. I'm not going to be original. I fully agree with what Matt and Anna said about the education piece. There is a recent data that was uh, provided by Invisibly, a company that does real-time research. Um, they surveyed just over a thousand people who don't use CBD right now, and it looks like 70% can't tell the difference between CBD and THC. So, um, so yeah, when you have such a vast majority of the market not understanding, completely not understanding um, what THC is, what CBD is, what they do, are they different, are they the same? Education is the only way forward. This is why we invested so much in marketing and education, because we think that's fundamental to the category development. Um, but the category is going to continue to grow, even without the education it has been growing, right? Um, and once we start to really get the consumers to understand the full spectrum of the wellness um, benefits that uh, cannabinoids can bring to their lives, I think it's just going to be uh, going from strength to strength. Um, some data suggests that the category is going to be as big as 4.9 billion. Um, oh, sorry, no, 4.9 billion is the category right now, uh, the wellness category with, um, with CBD right now. Uh, but it's projected to grow to 47 billion uh, by 2028. So, so it's a huge market, right? And as any huge market, it will attract more brands, um, more innovation, uh, more interesting formats, hybrid categories. It's going to be exciting, I think. And with that, I would like to thank my guests for joining me today and to you for listening. 